Good morning, friend. Coming at you on a Friday morning. This is Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm grateful to have you here on the podcast. It is early on a Friday morning, and I'm releasing an episode today that um, is from the archives. I'm going to go back to season one and give you the first episode of a 15-part series that I did called Infinitely Happier. The reason I'm doing this, this first episode of Infinitely Happier, is all about how to fight anxiety. I'm doing it because I'm in the middle of researching my next book, which is tentatively going to be called Self-Brain Surgery. We've been talking about it for a while now. Um, and just this is how it works as a writer. It's, it's hilarious how it works. And I talked to Addison Bevere about this the other day. But you always end up having a book that's about to come out, which Hope is the First Dose is about to come out. And even before that book comes out, you're writing the next book. So I'm in the middle of researching and reading and thinking and studying and learning and preparing and drafting stuff for the book that's not even written yet. Even while I'm promoting and preparing to release the next book, Hope is the First Dose, which comes out on July 25th. And the way this works for me is I almost always end up writing a different book than the one I set out to write. So when I was writing... The, the, when I was researching the beginnings of what turned out to be, I've seen the interview, which was about how people handle the loss and, and death and finding out that they're dealing with life-threatening things or when their spouse develops a brain tumor or whatever. How do, how do people, how can I doctor people and help them hold on to hope and faith when I know I can't save them with my medicine? That was kind of the genesis of that book. But while I was starting to do that, I ended up writing a memoir about my time in the Iraq war and my experience with PTSD and what it was like to come home from war and all of that. And I released no place to hide. Um, and it turned out that God did that because I needed to tell that story, but also there were lots of people who needed to hear that story. And that book was sort of in the process of being published when Mitch died. And I was in no shape to tour and teach about grief and loss at that time. Um, because I wasn't ready. So so I wasn't yet ready emotionally and experientially to write. I've seen the interview because I wasn't ready to live it yet. And so No Place to Hide came out. <laughs> so I was writing a book and ended up writing a different book. Well, the same thing happened with I've seen the interview. When I finally sat down to write, I've seen the interview. It was um, kind of a research project of learning how to answer these big questions and how to be a better doctor. And, and in the middle of writing that is when we lost Mitch. In the middle of sort of preparing all that is when we lost Mitch, and I found myself learning how to minister to myself and to my own family and how to find happiness and hope and peace and faith again and all that. And so that book kind of was a memoir, an experiential journey of helping patients while helping myself find my feet again, right? So then... Years later, I'm sitting down to write what turns out to be Hope is the First Dose, but I started it by thinking I was going to write a book that I tentatively was calling Infinitely Happier. And the reason I was writing about Infinitely Happier is because I realized after we lost Mitch is that people need to be happy. People need to find hope, and they need to find happiness, and they need to find purpose and meaning in their lives, even when they're going through these hard things. And so I read Randy Alcorn's book, Happiness, and I've been reading a bunch of other stuff, and I realized how what a dirty trick it was that the Bible has convinced Christians that they're not supposed to want to be happy. And this just turns out not to be true. In fact, Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount that we've translated and turned into this blessed idea, which nobody really knows what that means, some sort of future sanguine state where we're blessed. The word that Jesus uses, blessed, 
as we've said it in English, is makarios in the Greek, asher in the Hebrew, and it really means happy. So Jesus is really saying if you want a happy life, you'll be this kind of person. That's what he's saying in the Beatitudes. Be this and you'll become that. That's what he's saying. So anyway, I started by thinking I was going to write this book called Infinite Happiness, and it was this contrast between secular sort of motivational speaking and positive thinking and all these things that that seem like they make people happy and the reality of what happens when you get your spirit right and work with your neuroscience, and that was going to be this book, Infinitely Happier. But as I started working on that, it turned into Hope is the First Dose because what I realized as I was writing the, the beginnings of what was going to be Infinitely Happier is that before you can learn how to be happy again, you have to learn how to handle massive things. You have to learn how to be resilient in the face of really, really hard things, these big things that come along. And I developed this, what I call this treatment plan, which is what we did after we lost Mitch. It's learning how to use self-brain surgery to, to make yourself um line up with hope again. And it turned out to be really important that I tell that story and that give you that treatment plan first. And so it's it's this funny syndrome that I have of always writing one book that turns into a different book that seems to be necessary before the book I thought I was ready to write can be written. And so (laughs) the long preamble to say that now I'm getting ready to write what I think is going to be my life's work, which is to teach you why your brain is wired to help you find hope and happiness and have resilience and have strength and power and how that lines up with what the Bible has been telling us all along and why that's not just a psychology trick, why it's not just a neuroscience hack, why it's not just a way, as Dan Harris says, to become 10% happier. And it's really true that you can transform, radically transform your life by changing your mind. It's really true, and it's true on a scientific level. In biology, in genetics, in, in neurochemistry, in hormonal stuff, down to the quantum physics level, you can change your entire life and the generations of your family by learning how to get control of the six inches between your ears. And that has been in the Bible the whole time. And when you line your spirit up with what your neuroscience is designed to do, you become infinitely happier. So that that's the long preamble. So I'm going to give you the first part of that. Um, old, infinitely happier work. And you can hear the rumblings of all this stuff happening back then. This is several years ago now when I recorded this. And you can hear me becoming who I am now and what I'm ready to teach you, what I'm going to give you in the coming months. When Hope is the First Dose comes out, I'm telling you that book will change your life if you apply the principles because I didn't make them up. They come they come right out of Scripture and right out of neuroscience. And the book that's going to follow that is going to give you the toolkit, not just the treatment plan, but the specific instruments and procedures you can learn how to do to take control of the space in between your own ears and to drive the ship of your neuroscience instead of letting it be driven for you by circumstance. That's the secret, my friend. And so it's taken me all these years and all this work, and I'm sorry my voice is giving me trouble. I've got allergies today. It's just crazy with the wind blowing. But all these years and all this work to tell a story that you're about to be able to read and hope is the first dose. And you're going to have a, a fantastic set of tools to use for your own life and to teach your children and your children's children how to manage the space between their ears in order to become what I call infinitely happier, which really is just the ability to live the life that God wants you to live without all these drains on your on your psyche and on your neuroscience that happen because of life 
It's exciting and it's fantastic. And the most the most important part is it doesn't just sound true. It doesn't just feel true. It turns out to be true. You can change your mind and you can change your life. I'm going to put this episode up for the paid subscribers uncut without the preamble just I'm going to, because some people like me like to have access to the, the way it was and the whole archive. So for the paid subscribers, the entire podcast archive is coming online. I'm just dripping them out a little bit at a time and you can see them in the Substack list with a little lock next to them. So they're only for the paid subscribers. And if you want that, you can get a seven day free trial of what the paid subscribers have access to. Everything new that comes out becomes locked behind the paywall after 60 days. And so those folks that are helping us do all this work, that are supporting us, whether it's $10 a month or $100 a year or even a bigger gift, um, you can help us make this work more accessible to folks. Listen, we were downloaded in 110 countries last week. People are buying into the message. And it's because it's not Lee Warren. It's what God designed your brain to do. It's, it's how to find hope. It's a way to reliably produce the ability to manage yourself back to hope and happiness and health and purpose and passion and power again, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what the outcome of your diagnosis or your, or your problem is. You can change your mind, friend, and you can change your life. I'm going to give you back Infinitely Happier Part 1 as a preamble to all the things we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. And yesterday I gave you a little taste of the the self-brain surgery neuroscience realities that, that we're discovering. And I'm going to give you more of that in coming weeks. And we're going to reliably talk about hope and the treatment plan to get back there as we get closer to the book launch for Hope is the First Dose. And I am geeking out behind the scenes on what's going to come next. Just so you know, Hope is the First Dose is just the start of a lot of good things you're going to get from me in the next few years. And if you like it, join us as a paid subscriber on Substack. We'd love to have you along. But listen, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And this is the beginning of understanding the science of why that's true. It's not just a catchy phrase. It's actually true. And Lisa's going to tell us the good news is that we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Hey, my friend, I hope you're doing really well. The sun's rising. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, and I'm excited to be with you today. We just finished a long series of episodes uh, featuring special guests. You know, most of my podcasts um, over the years have just been me with an idea to share with you. Um, but since this COVID-19 thing is happening, I, I reached out to a bunch of people that I thought would be good guests on the show, and most of them are stuck at home like we all are. Um, and so 
Uh, everybody seemed to have time on their hands. So we've had a great series of conversations with famous people like Max Lucado and Philip Yancey and, and Tommy Walker and Paul Balash and, and some normal people that have really fascinating stories and experts in different areas. We've had a great bunch of episodes. But today... I'm starting a series of episodes that will form the core of where we're going to go for the next few weeks. Now, we'll still mix in some interviews when they come along that are that are helpful. And my ongoing conversation with my friend David Martirano, the atheist who's seeking uh, something new that he's, he's feeling in his heart. And so um, keep praying for me and David as we talk. And those will come when they come. Uh, David and I, like I said, aren't we're not scripting those. We're not planning them. Whenever he's ready to talk, I push record and we talk. But the next several weeks, we're going to outline... Some things that I'm writing in my new book, I'm, I'm working on a project that I'm tentatively calling Infinitely Happier, A Neurosurgeon's Thoughts on Thinking. I'm always telling you, you can't change your life until you change your mind. The whole sort of outline of this podcast is about the fact from neuroscience and the fact from faith that how we think affects how we live. And this isn't just some positive thinking podcast. It's actually the fact that you make better decisions, you, you form better relationships, you make uh, better progress in your life, and you feel happier and you have a more abundant life when you think better thoughts. And, and so there's tools that I call self-brain surgery techniques to help you learn how to do that. And the whole deal with Infinitely Happier is that there was a book a few years ago called 10% Happier that... Basically, the premise was if you learn how to meditate and sort of slow your thinking down and, and process things before you react to them, that you can be about 10% happier. That's what Dan Harris wrote. And I think if you add the underpinnings of, of how we're designed, which I believe is a spiritual life, um, if you add that in, then you don't have to settle for being 10% happier. You can be a lot happier. You might even be infinitely happier. Listen, life is not brain surgery. It's, it's harder than brain surgery. I can actually teach you. Most people, I think, I could teach to do a lot of the things that we do in brain surgery. You can learn that by repetition, by good training, by practice. But life, you got to sort of live life to get good at it. Fortunately, though, you can get help from other people, and people you can learn from other people's mistakes and guidance. And we can get better at life by talking about it, studying it, and, and working at it. But ultimately, we just got to live it. And so I'm here to hopefully, over the next few weeks, give you some framework that we're going to build this infinitely happier idea around. Now, I would love to get some feedback from you. If you send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com, D-R-L-E-E-W-A-R-R-E-N.com, lee at drleewarren.com. And tell me, after you've listened to these episodes and start thinking about these things and implementing some of them, tell me some stories about how they're um, affecting you. Are they helping you? Are they not helping you? Are they useful? Are they not? Am I explaining things well? And I'll use some of those stories as case studies in the book. We'll, we'll sort of use them um, like we talk about in medical practice. You know, when we do a surgery, we write a paper about the outcome and the results and what we could have done differently or what works. And those are case studies that are really helpful to other doctors in learning how to take care of patients. So I think that writing some case studies into this book might actually turn out to be helpful to people to say, hey, I, I tried this, and this is how it worked in my life. So lee at com. after you've heard some of these episodes and tried some of the things, send me some emails, and I'll uh, if, if I get um, some good feedback, I'll use them uh, in the book, and I think it'll help people. Dr. Brene Brown is a famous... A uh, social worker, writer, uh, lecturer. She's done in a TED Talk that got a lot of traction, and she's written a lot of really, really good books. 
And Brene Brown has a series of what she calls guideposts for wholehearted living. Um, by the way, she did a Netflix special called The Call to Courage. And if you're stuck at home and you don't have much else to do, The Call to Courage on Netflix by Brene Brown is really worth watching. It's, it's an outstanding series, uh, uh, outstanding lecture that she gave. And it's very helpful. The only thing I don't like, um, is that she uses some kind of strong language in her talk. It's really unnecessary. Um, and some people find it offensive and therefore they'll turn it off and not listen to what she has to say. So don't, don't write me and say I recommended something that had bad language in it. So I'm not telling you that I approve of the language. I'm just telling you that it's there, but the show is worth watching. It's good. It's useful, and you should watch it. Um, so go watch it. Brene Brown's Call to Courage on Netflix. And one of the things that Brene Brown writes about is something that she calls cultivating calm and stillness and letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Can you imagine anxiety as a lifestyle? I think right now there's probably a lot of us that are living some of that. Everybody's stuck at home. They're not sure what the future looks like. Some people have been laid off or lost their jobs or their companies have closed. And they don't know what's going to happen post-COVID-19. So there's a lot of anxiety as a lifestyle happening right now, I guarantee you. Now, I read about um, anxiety from a mental health expert online, and he said, anxiety is not a disease It's not an illness. It's not a biological condition you inherit or contract. It's also not a result of a chemical imbalance or a biological problem in the brain. Anxiety is a condition that we cause. Anxiety only lingers when we don't understand or know how to reverse it. Now, obviously, there are some medical disorders that cause anxiety, so I don't agree with that completely. But it is true that anxiety is something that we can often manage ourselves and sometimes take care of ourselves by changing how we think about it. So how do we approach the task of reclaiming our life from the grips of anxiety? Now, Brene Brown suggests cultivating calm and stillness. Now, I found a great article about Brene Brown's guidepost from a lady named Erica Diosa on her blog. Um, I'll put a link to her blog in the show notes because it's a really good article about this particular guidepost from Brene Brown. And she said this, when a busy, overscheduled person hears the suggestion to be calm and find stillness, chances are they think of sitting in a room doing nothing, being absolutely bored out of their mind. I agree with that. You know, people think about meditation and prayer and they think, gosh, it just means you're sitting there being quiet and it's boring and all of that, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. Dr. Brown defines and helps to clarify what calm and stillness actually look like. Here's what she said. Calm is about creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. It's about being able to take a step back from the situation see all the variables and be able to self-talk your way through every situation with realistic and grounded thinking. Stillness is not about focusing on nothingness. It's about creating a clearing. It's about opening up an emotionally chatter-free space, allowing ourselves to feel and think and dream and question. Stillness is about finding space for yourself and all the busyness. It's about carving out a peaceful space where you can reflect, engage your creativity, and process your thoughts. Awareness of self and of our thoughts can be life-changing, if we can work up the courage to confront them. Now, this guidepost really ties into what I'm thinking and writing about lately, this burr under the saddle that's making me need to write this book infinitely happier because I think people really could have better lives if they changed how they think. That's why I'm always saying you can't change your life until you change your mind. In fact, in the Bible, 
Uh, there's a new translation recently came out called the Passion Translation. And Proverbs 17.27 says this, Can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? That's how you show that you're wise. An understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. That's really what we're getting at, folks. That's really what we're getting at, my friend, is the idea that we want to be able to have a life where we can manage ourselves and find peace, find joy, find happiness, stay calm, stay collected no matter what we go through. Because life's going to bring some hard stuff. So if we want to learn how to be infinitely happier, we have to learn how to manage what we know is coming. We have to be prepared and be able to respond and not just react like wild animals when we get surprised by the hard things in life. I want you to learn how to be infinitely happier, my friend. That's my entire goal for this podcast, for my books and everything. It's for you to find your path in life. I believe there's a spiritual component to that that's going to make it all even better. And I want you to get there starting today. Hey, you remember what Dr. Brown said about stillness? Let me read it to you again. She said, stillness is not about focusing on nothingness. It's about creating a clearing. It's opening up an emotionally chatter-free space, allowing ourselves to feel and think and dream and question. Brene Brown said that. That little space is the entire goal, by the way, of Eastern meditation. And when we think about meditation, we think about some monk sitting somewhere, you know, trying to still his mind and be calm and and uh, all that sort of weird stuff that Westerners don't don't really understand. All they're trying to do in Eastern meditation, it's not a spiritual thing. It's a mind control thing. It's It's trying to learn how to put a little gap between the stimulus that life brings us, challenges, thoughts, difficulties, etc., and the response to that stimulus, learning to pause before you react, to think before you speak, to bridle your tongue, like the proverb said, to be able to process and think through before you respond. That's what Eastern meditation is about, calming your mind and creating that space. Now, I've talked a lot about how this really, in, in a very real sense, is much like learning how to do surgery on your own brain, like changing the patterns, the synapses, the automatic responses that happen. You can learn to do that, and it's basically like doing surgery, doing self-brain surgery. There's something that I call the bad thought biopsy. In fact, you should go back to um, my episode um, about the, the uh, thought biopsies. There's an episode called Thought Biopsies, Goalposts, and Patch Base. And in this, I describe the technique um, of how to do the thought biopsy. And there's another episode, The Neuroscience of Happiness. That's episode nine. And I give you five different self-brain surgery techniques. All of these will be in the book, much more flushed out. But the bad thought biopsy is what I, is what I call it, with this idea of when I look at an MRI of your brain and there's something going on there, I can't know for sure what I'm seeing just because I see a picture of it. I don't know for sure that it's a tumor and not an infection or, or just some scar tissue or something. I need a biopsy of it. I need to take a piece of that tissue that I'm seeing on the, on the screen and actually get a piece of it and look at it under the microscope and identify what it actually is before I take action. Because if I see a spot on your MRI and I just take you to surgery and cut your head open and dig around in your brain, it may turn out that you didn't need that big operation. If I had just done a little biopsy first, I might have prevented you from needing something done, from having something done that you didn't need. Now, the idea is that surgeons have to have tissue to understand what the issue is. 
And happy people learn that they can't believe every thought that pops into their heads and react to those thoughts. Happy people learn how, as Daniel Lehman says, to think about their thinking. Max Lucado says, just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to think it. Neuroscience has proven that negative connections are approximately five times more memorable than positive ones. And this, my friend, is why you can remember the one time your mom called you an idiot instead of the thousand times that she said how smart you are. You can. You can still remember where you were standing when a parent or a loved one or a spouse or somebody said something negative to you. You can remember the emotion around that when you were a little kid. You can. And the reason you can is because negative experiences are hardwired much more powerfully than positive experiences are. We've talked about how that's a protective mechanism. It keeps you from touching the hot stove more than once and all of that. But so the first step And learning how to manage our minds is to recognize that not every thought we have is valid, helpful, true, or worthy of a response, even an emotional response. Not every thought that you have is actually right. Now, when your brain says, I'm a loser, for example, note that. Take a look at it. Look at it rationally and discern whether you're thinking about it from an emotional place that's colored by your big brothers or your ex-spouse's mean name-calling or whether it's actually something real that you need to work on. Now, happy people have learned how to think about those thoughts instead of just knee-jerk reacting to them. If you work all day tomorrow on thinking about every negative thought before you react to it, then by the end of the day, you'll be much more aware of the nature and frequency of harmful thinking in your brain. Now, how often do we find ourselves far down a path of listening to worrisome thoughts without ever stopping to question if the thought itself was worthy of an emotional reaction? Think about that for a minute. Everybody has negative thoughts. They're like the ants that show up on the counter no matter how hard you try to keep things clean in your kitchen. Daniel Amen, the famous psychiatrist friend of mine, calls these automatic negative thoughts or ants. His powerful book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, is worth reading. You should actually read it if you want to know more about how your thinking impacts your life. I can't recommend it highly enough. It should be considered a textbook if you want to change your life. But by thinking about our thinking, we'll gain more discernment about when to actually engage certain lines of thought and when to discard them altogether. Now, Guy Winch is a TED Talker, a famous, uh, pretty famous psychologist. He's been on the podcast before. He calls this idea sort of mental hygiene, like learning how to work through the things that you're thinking about and process them in a healthy way. But these automatic negative thoughts, these ants, they're tricky. They have a weight to them that make them seem accurate and real, like monsters under the bed to an eight-year-old. And those ants can be so scary that they can paralyze us. They can ruin our lives if we don't learn how to manage them. But not to worry, because the bad thought biopsy, what Brene Brown called creating that chatter-free space, that'll set you free from reacting to every ant that pops into your head. When an ant pops into your head, biopsy it. When you have that negative thought, when you have a racing thought, when you're catastrophizing, when you're worried about everything... Biopsy it for a second. When your mind tells you, I'll never be able to do this, I want you to say out loud, wow, that was a really negative thought. I need to rephrase that more positively. Here's an example. You have a thought that pops into your head that says something like this, I'm never going to be able to lose this weight. Your response could be, wow, hey, that was a really negative way to look at that. The truth is, if I'm more careful about my diet today, if I choose to exercise instead of sitting on the couch, I'll actually make a little progress on my weight goal. And if I put a bunch of those days together, I'll lose some weight. You see the difference? One is is, uh, neutering and one is empowering. One is harmful 
and one is helpful. When we learn to take that thought and spin it around and look at it objectively, two things happen. One, you start seeing possibilities where before you only saw defeat. And number two, your brain's blood flow and your chemistry actually changes in a positive way. That's true. And guess what that does? Everything you look at, everything you think about for the rest of the day will start off from a little healthier place. You're improving your baseline of how you approach things. So today, if you look for those ants, if you look for the negative thinking that pops in automatically, you'll see what a little positive spinning does to them. If you keep practicing, then soon you'll adopt this phrase. I used to be a negative person, but my brain surgeon changed my mind. That's a little inside neurosurgery joke. Look, here's the deal. The science keeps proving and pointing us toward what God's been saying all along. John sixteen thirty three. my paraphrase says this, Life is hard and you're going to have trouble, so be ready for it. We know that when things do get hard, it will produce harmful chemical changes in our brain and physical changes in our bodies. Anxiety, depression, fear, all those things hurt your physical body as well as your mental state. So it's critical to learn how to deal with the anxiety of being afraid of everything that you can't control by giving it to somebody who can control it, giving it up to God, or if you're not a spiritual person, learning another way to manage it. Now, here's a little toolkit, some verses, some scripture to preload into your brain and heart that will help you combat the automatic anxiety-producing thoughts that tough circumstances cause. Now, as a disclaimer, I'm an outspoken Christian, as you know, and I use scripture verses, Bible, to fill up my brain and my heart so I have some ammunition to shoot at these negative thoughts. Scripture's helpful to me in that regard. In fact, the Bible says it's helpful in that regard to help calm your mind and to prepare your heart for those challenges that life brings along. If you're not a spiritual person, you need to have some other type of ammunition, though, that you use to prepare for these hard things. Other writings, sacred writings, philosophy, uh, other things that you've read, um, some plans in your brain, you need to have some ammunition to shoot at these negative thoughts. Now, since I'm a person who uses scripture for that, and I'm really grateful that my parents taught me that and showed me that way to arm myself with this armor of, of God's word. And since I use that, I'm going to give you some of the verses that I use, and hopefully you'll find them helpful. If you memorize these, if you put them in your heart, write them down, stick them in your pocket, use them when life gets hard. This is just a little toolkit that you can use to preload that calm, that space that we're looking for, that that chatter-free zone that Brene Brown talked about. So here's some of the verses that I use. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. So when I'm feeling anxious, I talk to God about it. Matthew six twenty five and 27 says this, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now think about that one right now. We're all stuck inside this COVID-19 thing's going on. None of us can control it. We can't control what the governments do. We can't control when you get to go back to work or when life gets back to normal. So worrying about it can't fix it. And you'll let your brain get worse. You'll let your heart get worse if you sit there and focus on all that negative stuff. So you got to think about better things. Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Another version says every day has enough trouble of its own. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Second Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. Psalm 55.22 Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, with thanksgiving, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 46, 10. Be still, and know that I am God. And finally, my favorite verse about why we use Scripture to help us in life, Proverbs twelve twenty five: Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now listen, again, you don't have to use Scripture, but you've got to have something that you've got ready in your heart when life brings you a challenge, when those negative thoughts pop in. You've got to have something to throw back at them, and Scripture works for me. By the way, this uh, Proverbs twelve twenty five verse, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's why I'm called to write right there. That's it. I'm here to bring you the good word, to remind you not to be anxious, to help you when it's hard. That's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast, to bring you that good word. So how do we cultivate calm? Going back to Brene Brown's idea. Again, I say, do what the Bible says. Preload your thinking with the right answers to whatever's going to pop up. It's like studying for a test. We, we arm our brains to be ready for whatever comes along so that we're ready with the right thoughts and the answers to pre-protect our neurochemistry. So if you know that hard things are going to happen, you prepare, you, you, you get ready. There's a book um, called Never Split the Difference by an FBI hostage negotiator named Chris Voss. I've talked about him before on the podcast. That'd be a good interview too, wouldn't it, by the way? But this book, um, Chris Voss says um, a sentence, a, a line that's become kind of a mantra for me. He says, when the pressure's on, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your highest level of preparation. So that's what I'm getting at. We're preparing. We're, we're preparing for the hard stuff, for when the pressure's on. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice this. David, the guy who wrote that, he wrote it before he was in the valley of the shadow of death. He was preparing his heart for what happens. So when he says to himself, okay, even if I end up walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid. He's preloading his heart to keep his faith up when the hard times come because he knows he's going to get there eventually, right? Hebrews 13, 13, 6 says, We can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me couple more, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. And the flame will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. And Luke 21, 14 and 15 and 18 and 19. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. How you will defend yourself. 
For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Listen, friend. Again, this isn't a sermon. I'm giving you some scripture that you can use, but you could also use some other things. I think scripture is better. But the point is you've got to be prepared. You've got to make up your mind beforehand that you're not going to give in to anxiety, fear, worry, negative thinking, all of that, because life is going to bring you challenges. So if you want to succeed, if you want to win life, you got to stand firm. And the secret to that is preloading, to be prepared, to create that chatter-free space. I think the biggest distinction between the pure meditators who are trying to tune out the world's noise and find calm and stillness and silence, and between those and Christians who want something bigger and better to find in the silence is this. Spiritual meditation isn't about trying to hear nothing. Eastern meditation is. It's about trying to hear nothing so you can control what you think about. Spiritual meditation is about trying to hear the only thing that can really help. And stillness isn't about trying to calm ourselves down. It's about slowing down enough to know that we're safe in God's care and that we can rest there. Anxiety isn't a real thing. It's not a disease. It's a physiological response to what we're thinking about and how we allow ourselves to respond. It's not a disease in and of itself. Now, again, as a medical disclaimer, as a physician, there are some people who have anxiety disorders that are so out of hand that they need medical help. And if you're having a hard time with anxiety and you can't get it under control, don't self-medicate, don't use alcohol, don't you know take uh, bad behaviors to try to calm your anxiety. Go see your doctor. They really can help. So don't hear me saying that. Go see your doctor if you're struggling with anxiety and if you can't get it under control. But I want you to remember that many times we can get it under control. And since we know that we can control our physiology by changing our thought patterns, we need to bathe ourselves in words that will help and have them ready as ammunition to shoot at these problems when they inevitably arise. And I believe Scripture helps with that more than anything else in my experience. So cultivate calm. Reject the lifestyle of anxiety. Preload your thinking, and you'll offload your anxiety. This is self-brain surgery. This is how we get to the place where we can become infinitely happier. We're going to talk a lot more about this in coming episodes. It's biblical. It's consistent with neuroscience. It's good self-care. It's self-brain surgery, and it will help you. But if you want it to help you, you have to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.